Welcome. This is All the Fuck In, a podcast from two entrepreneurs about showing up for social justice in your work. This isn't your typical capitalist-focused entrepreneurial business podcast. There are already plenty of those. We're here because we've been craving voices rooted in activism, justice, and integrity with those values. These are conversations about all things business and entrepreneurship, but from a radical perspective that says we don't have to choose between social justice values and being successful in our work. This won't be a place where we claim to have all the answers. Our intention is to offer guidance and support while also encouraging our listeners to discover and live into more questions. We believe these conversations require ongoing practice and a consistent dedication to unlearning. If you're ready to go all the fuck in on what matters most while creating an abundant life, you're in the right place. And a quick note on our content, we believe self-care is radical and non-negotiable in the work of both justice and entrepreneurship. So some of these conversations include mention of trauma, both from a systemic and often racialized perspective and in relationship to experiences like sexual violence. We hope you do what you need to take care of yourself while listening, even if that means pausing and returning to an episode at another time or skipping it altogether. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. This is Lauren, and I use she, her pronouns. Hi, Tristan speaking. They, them pronouns. Good to be here with you all again. Again. Hi. (laughs) Um, And we're here with Tatum, would you like to say? Uh, do you guys want to start that over just because I don't really know how to be on podcasts <laughs> oh you're fine you're fine sure <laughs> no do it <problem>. again Lauren <laughs> oh, okay so we'll, okay I didn't know if you had to start a new recording I sort of want to leave this in because it's so funny <laughs> um Maybe we can leave it in the like video <laughs> if we leave the video in um yeah. okay Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Lauren, and I use she and her pronouns. And this is Tristan speaking, they, them pronouns. And we're here today with our guest, Tatum Fierstead. Would you like to share your pronouns, Tatum? Yes, my pronouns are she, hers. Um, And this is kind of a different episode for us. Number one, I want to acknowledge my internet's very slow in my very old building. And so, if things are a little wonky, it's because I think I'm on a delay. Um, so that's the first thing. Mercury's retrograde. This mm. is accepted. Um, the second thing is this is a different kind of episode for us. And I shared with Tatum and Tristan before we started recording. I'm a little nervous for the maybe the first time, maybe besides mm. our very first episode, I was a little nervous for because um, I feel, you know, a responsibility to do quote unquote, right by this topic. And as we also talked about before we recorded, you know, perfectionism is a tool of white supremacy. So we're going to let this be messy where it is messy. And I'm going to just do my best um, to frame this up for us and hold the conversation with as much care as I can. So a little bit of background um, here at the top of the episode of why we're here today. Basically, I am a huge podcast fan myself, and I came across one called A Little Bit Culty, which is hosted by two of the survivors of the Nexium cult. Um, Some of you might remember um, the legal proceedings where 
um, women were being branded and sexually abused and a lot of really shady stuff was going on in upstate New York. The founder's now in prison. Um, and I also have learned more about just how culty language can function and how it's not this black and white thing of whether a group is a cult or not. There's this spectrum of cultish behavior. So before we get into like more of a conversation with the three of us, I just have some notes I'm going to be reading from to try to frame this up. So just bear with me if anything's a little clunky. So as I've been listening to these podcasts and learning more, I've really been waking up to communities that I've either been a part of or almost a part of or just adjacent to that weren't as good or altruistic as they were presented to me to be. Um, when I first got connected to them. And this also includes a narcissistically abusive ex I was with for four years. This includes bosses I've worked for, um, definitely a lot of yoga communities, which is a big part of our conversation today. Um, so I wanna also get into some definitions as well here to help us all have some shared language. This is something Michelle Johnson uses in Skill in Action so that we're all using the same words to mean the same things as much as we can. So again, there's this spectrum of culty behavior that's not black and white. We see it all over our society today. This could be a corporate culture that you're part of, political spaces, multi-level marketing companies, yoga communities. Um, there's a book called Cultish, The Language of Fanaticism by Amanda Montel. She has a really great podcast called A Little Bit Culty, um, or no, I'm sorry, called Sounds Like a Cult. That is a really great place to learn about how cults use this language. And then I mentioned the other podcast, A Little Bit Culty, which covers, you know, the abuses by Keith Raniere. He's currently serving a life sentence in New York State for sex trafficking of children, conspiracy to commit forced labor. Um so I think one thing that has really struck me is a lot of people who end up in these kinds of groups on the spectrum of cultish behavior think that they're joining something good. Um, they don't realize until much later if they wake up at all that something is really, really wrong. Um, and Amanda's book specifically gets into how language is the quote foundation upon which these cults are built and the everyday cult-like groups that we're all in to a degree. And labeling something as a cult, again, it's not black and white. There's a spectrum of behavior, language, and influence. Um, you can see this in places like brands that we consume. Um, nonprofits might use this kind of language for fundraising. There are political candidates that we might be drawn to because of that use of language, even self-help communities and religious institutions. And then, of course, at the other end of the spectrum, there's these really destructive, blatantly abusive groups that are clearly causing harm. And so what I'm learning is that we're all under this influence to a degree. Um, you know, there's extreme examples, again, like QAnon, Nexium, Scientology, the Mormon Church. Um, if you've ever seen Wild Wild Country on Netflix, I actually just binged that over the weekend with my partner. Wow, that was an interesting <laughs> ride. Um, so those are some examples of very destructive cults that maybe the culture recognizes as that, but then some are really benign and helpful to people. So 12-step groups might have elements of using that kind of language. CrossFit gyms have kind of their own language that builds that sense of community, stops debate in its tracks, and it also ultimately can coerce people into certain behaviors that they would never do because a lot of times people who join these groups, they're targeted because they're idealistic, they work hard, they're optimistic. Um, our culture tends to label cult survivors or people who get out of these kind of high control groups as well, they must have been vulnerable or needy or weak. But generally they were targeted because they're very committed people and they 
might have some cash to spare, and they have a lot of integrity. And those traits end up getting exploited for the group or the leader's purposes. Um, Mark Vicente or Vicente, I'm not sure how to say his name, one of the survivors who you may have seen in The Vow um, from Nexium has said, nobody joins a cult, they join a good thing. Um, Dr. Stephen Hassan um, is someone I'm learning a lot about um, and a lot from. He's a cult survivor himself. He's one of the leading experts on cults and what he calls undue influence. And he does a ton of research and also clinical work as a psychologist helping other survivors recover. And he has a model called the BITE method, B-I-T-E, and this explains how undue influence operates. So there's behavior control, information control, thought control, emotional control. I'll link to all of this stuff in the show notes because I don't want to go on for too long. But basically, by exerting these four types of control, a group or a leader can gain full power over a human and essentially strip them of their free will. And then he also defines undue influence as, quote, any act of persuasion that overcomes the free will and judgment of another person. People can be unduly influenced by deception, flattery, trickery, coercion, hypnosis, which I was in a group. And once I started talking about hypnotherapy, I was like, I'm out. <laughs> I'm sure it can be a helpful tool, but I'm like, this is not good. Um, and other techniques that's from the Freedom of Mind Resource Center, all of that information. So ultimately, this comes down to whether a group is a cult or not isn't the question that we should be asking. What I'm learning right now for myself is it's important to recognize how language and undue influence might be at play in any group, to what degree, and whether or how they might be causing harm or behaving like one of these more destructive cults. Some good examples of destructive ones are also like MLMs or multi-level marketing. Um, they use cultist tactics to exploit their members. They coerce them into recruiting more people into their, quote, downline. In the end, only about 1% of the top recruiters in MLM, MLMs actually make any money. And I bring this up because we're probably going to touch on these today with Tatum, potentially. Um, and part of why we're doing this episode is Tristan and I feel a great sensitivity to not replicating these cultures as space holders. Um, we feel really responsible for platforming people with integrity and especially as this podcast grows and our work as entrepreneurs grows because in the coaching and self-help industry and the online business space business coaches wellness and yoga all of these industries have a lot of toxic i have all the answers shit going on and that is not what we're here for um, if coach or a mentor or a business educator is going to give me tools that further disconnect me from my own inner wisdom um, but are actually manipulating me to buy more of their stuff. That's a huge red flag. And I just, that's what I want to underscore more than anything that like all of this comes back to like trusting ourselves, um, giving each other tools to do that. Cause I think even people who might be influencing us unconsciously can still cause a lot of harm. And I know that that's a big piece of the conversation Tatum wants to bring in today is like how, when we've been part of those situations, how we may have been part of the harm doing ourselves and how we're all capable of that. So I'm going to take a breath because I just said a lot of words. That was fantastic, um, Lauren. Thank you. Like really, you, you really, you set it up like for, okay, for folks I'm who like, aren't on the Zoom. <laughs> For folks who aren't on the Zoom call with us, Lauren's got a whole Word doc that she's put together with all this research. Like she is, she is on it. She's ready for this conversation. And also we're sweating and talking and a little nervous. I am, I will speak from the eye. Um, yeah. You know, this brings up a lot yeah. of stuff or, or can. So, yeah. I was going to say, yeah. And, and I know the three of us are committed to resourcing ourselves and each other during this conversation, but for listeners, 
this brings up shit for you, like, please take care. You don't have to listen to this whole episode. Maybe check out some of the other things I'll link as just resources, start reading if that feels interesting and supportive, but please don't pressure yourself to like dig in and just trigger the shit out of all of your trauma <laughs> from your own experience. Um, so just to give Tatum some props, she's someone I know we both look to as an example of how to find that tension between holding ourselves compassionately accountable for harm that we may have caused probably unconsciously um, and may have been complicit in when we were part of more toxic communities and groups, even though we were also harmed and coerced as part of those. Um, and I'm going to just briefly reference Tatum put out an open letter that you may have seen around the internet that we will link to, um, and was also on an episode of a podcast where she gets into her whole story. That is not what we're here to do today. Um, so we'll encourage you to just check out those links if you would like to. Um, but for now, <laughs> we like to officially hand it over to Tatum for a second, because I know a lot of people would love to hear just more about who you are. If you have anything about your social location, astrology, anything that would just feel good to kind of place you now that I've talked a lot these first few minutes. <laughs> sure. Um, I currently live in Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, on Dakota and Anishinaabe uh, unceded territory. And I have lived here most of my life, but I've also lived in New York City twice. I gave that city two tries and uh, I came back here <laughs> both times. Um, I have worked in the wellness industry in some capacity for the last 10 years. Right now, I am an acupuncturist. I just got licensed back in April. Um, for those of you that are unaware, the schooling for acupuncture is grueling. Um, I was in school for three and a half years. I finished school out and my internships out in the middle of a pandemic and then started my practice in a pandemic. And so it's been a really wild ride. Um, I've been teaching we can say yoga because that's what people, they have an association to that, but I don't really know if that's actually what I've been teaching for 10 years. I think I've been teaching a movement practice that's been commodified and um, stolen. And I'm still figuring out what to call what I do. I don't do that publicly anymore. I have some small groups that I do that with um, because I am still figuring out I'm figuring it out. It's in process. A lot of the things I'm going to talk about today are in process because um, I think that that's how life is basically until um, your current form is no longer present on this planet because it is all in process. But mm. um, I, in 2016, um, as a part of my breaking away from um, the wellness industry and the capacity that I was in it, I drove around the country for three months and I taught something called Move, Sit, Write, which connects movement, meditation, and writing in like a 90-minute offering. And uh, it's taken a lot of shapes and form since then. Um, but I've been teaching that on a monthly basis virtually for... I did that for all of 2021 and I'm figuring out what my offerings will look like this year. But prior to things moving online um, for the pandemic, I was doing that, I think mostly monthly or every you know few weeks um, uh, in person. And that's been a really lovely practice that has actually is probably the reason that I was able to do a lot of the things that we'll probably talk about in this podcast because the aim of that practice has always, it's not 
original to me or anything. I just gave it that name. But the idea of using the somatics of movement and using the reflection of meditation or the like container of meditation and then the somatic slash reflection of writing, right? Using pen to paper. Um, the main point of that entire practice has always been to cultivate self-awareness. And beyond that, I don't, you know, like I, not that I don't care what you do with it, but it's not my business. Um, it's completely up to you. Um, but just, just to hover in that initial space of like, oh, I see about yourself um, has been a, a really helpful tool as someone, you know, deconstructing from their faith of origin. I grew up in a fundamental Baptist church um, and deconstructing from the, the yoga world, I guess the, the wellness world, even though I'm still in it. I mean, acupuncture is still in the wellness space. I like to call it healthcare, even though <laughs> um, I think preventative care is, uh, well, we shouldn't get into that discussion. I might take over the whole podcast and change the direction of it, but I, I call, I consider myself a healthcare worker now more than I do someone who works in the wellness industry, though the intersections of like acupuncturists and the wellness industry are, they're very close. And, you know, that Venn diagram is basically two circles on top of each other. So, um, what else can I tell you? I, I, you put in the notes that you want me to talk about my kittens. So I'll talk about my kittens. Um, I have, <laughs> I just adopted um, two kittens. It's been 2021 and into the start of 2022 has been uh, really rough for me personally. I lost my 15 year old boy, Gary. Um, he was a tuxedo cat. I lost him in July and I'd had him since my early twenties. So he was like the cat that has known all my boyfriends and the cat that is, um, moved to New York and back with me multiple times and he died. Um, he was, he had lymphoma and he died. He was 15. And then I made it six months. I was going to wait a whole year before I got any more pets. And I made it six months. And I was like, <laughs> not owning pets is the worst. I can't, I can't not have an animal. Like it's, I can't not come home to an empty house when no one else is here. Like I can't do it. So um, I adopted two kittens because I wanted them to have a friend. I wanted them to have buddies. And right now their names are Linus and Lucy, but I have been known to change pet names multiple times in the first one to three years of their lives. So if anyone decides to like follow me on Instagram after this or become my friend in real life and in like two months, their names are completely different Then that is completely up to me. And <laughs> um, yeah, so anything else I should tell you? Is that feel like a good introduction? Yeah. Tatum, would you share um, any bit of your social location or identities that feel resonant for you to offer? Um, and if you want to share anything about your astrology, we tend to ask our guests oh, yeah, about their, their right. placements okay. too. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I am an Aries sun, uh, Scorpio moon and a Libra rising. And I did have my first official astrology reading from a person who does that. And I guess there's so much Libra in my chart. That's what I walked away from that learning. Um, the rest of it was very hard for me to track because um, it's a very overwhelming system to me. I haven't spent a ton of time with it, but um, uh, yeah, that's me there. I am a cisgender white woman <clears throat> and I am bisexual and that feels 
Does that, does that cover that? Is that good? Okay, great. <laughs> great. Also, it doesn't surprise me. There's so much Libra in your chart. Like you have such a passion for justice. And I mean, I don't know a lot about acupuncture, but it seems like it's a lot about restoring the body's natural balance and equilibrium. I mean, of course that's what you do. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yes. And also regarding the kittens, I sort of loved on Instagram, you were putting out like suggestions for names. One of them, one of the pairs is Fleabag and Hot Priest, which I kind yeah. of loved. <laughs> That's still in the running. <laughs> so cute. That would be adorable too. So yeah. That's still in the running. I'm still like, I keep playing with Phoebe or Andy because I just like, I like names that end with the like E or Y sounding things because then you can use a baby voice with it a little easier. I don't know. And so <laughs> I, uh, I haven't decided, but we also, we have also called all, the, they don't respond to anything besides babies because that's what I call them the most at this point. So if it's babies, where are you babies? And I really have just called them sir or ma'am a lot too. It's just a mess. I can't, their, their identity, the, my struggle with their identity feels very in line with some stuff I'm navigating my own identity right now. So it's all, it's all connected as they say. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> um, so you should, when we reached out to you, first of all, thank you for your generosity and just like making this time for us, especially with all that's happening on every level right now. And, um, you know, you said something really wise in your email. We were talking about what shape this conversation could take. And I'm going to read the quote from you. Um, we are all capable of harm and we are all capable of being harmed. Um, it's important to me that we talk about both when naming the kind of harm I survived in wellness spaces. Um, so again, it, without getting into your story, because we'll refer people to the other links for that. Um, you know, I would love to hear about like any healing work that you've been in and that got you to the point of even being able to hold the tension between those two, two truths in your own recovery. Right. So Whenever I talk about this, I feel like I have to go back pretty far and it takes it out of wellness quite a bit because as a survivor of various forms of abuse, the route that kept me the safest as a small person and as a teenager and a person in my 20s, I'm 37 years old, um, is uh, to just walk away and close the door and not look back. Um, because that was prior to having a therapist, prior, prior to having a community where it felt like I knew other people who had been through similar things and we could talk about it openly. Um, there was this, I had to create this distance so that I could look at it from the outside and create a story about it that made sense to me. Um, and that got easier and had more depth once I started, you know, working with a, th a therapist and once I started joining various like groups. And when I say various groups, I really just mean one. If there's one link you click on, I think for this, I can't say enough good things about Reclamation Collective. Um, they are an incredible group of folks. Um, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but it was that stepping away and that using, you know, that move, sit, right practice essentially to 
be like, okay, what just happened? Mm. Is it my fault? Mm. I don't think so. What did I do to deserve that? Which is, it's coming up all the time, all the time for me. There's always that, like, what did I do wrong here? You know, this question of like, I thought that I did that with good intentions. I thought I joined that. Is Am I that, like, uh, is my ability to suss out a good person that poor why is it mm. so poor why did I get sucked in, sucked into that and it wasn't until someone and it's similar to what you already said which is that um these communities whether it's a church or it's you know a yoga teacher you really like or whatever you know an MLM you know a, a, a selling tactic I've been in so many of them it's unbelievable um it's this idea of community and because I grew up in a church that was very strict and very fundamentalist, there was a very clear container around what you were allowed to do and not allowed to do. And as a child, that felt good. It felt good to know what I can do to be good and what I should not do so that I'm not bad. And if you tell me at the end, at the end, excuse me, at the other end of that is connection and love and support and community, I'll do whatever you tell me to do, of course. And so I'm, I was primed for that. So then you add in an MLM, you add in, you know, an essential oils thing or you, a face cream company or pampered chef, or (laughs) I think I did was another weird one I did. Um, I did Mary Kay. Oh my God. My grandma roped me into Mary Kay. So that's funny. Um, But when doing all of these, it was the promise of like, if I sell this, I get to have all these friends. We get to talk about the same thing that we're interested in and learn about it together. There's, you know, calls that we get to get on. There's potential vacations we get to go on together. I just get this built-in community. Yay. And it only costs me X number of dollars, which like, I'll just spend it. It'll be fine. And if I don't like it, then I don't like it. It's okay. I got some free shit out of it, which it's not free. That's what, that's what they say to you. Like, well, give us your money and then we'll send you stuff. And then you just got free stuff. And it's like, but I didn't get free stuff. I paid for it <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, so, you know, and then the other part of it is growing up in the kind of church I grew up in this idea that there is a person or individual or entity that has the answers. Mm. Um, and growing up in a, in a home where it was similar, where like, you know, there a lot of the parenting styles that I see on TikTok now weren't my, my, my mom wasn't aware of them. You know, my parents weren't aware of them. I don't, know if they would have had the free time to become aware of them because of, you know, I grew up a working class family. And I think that when you're raised in a way that is do as I say, don't question it. This is how you stay connected. That when you find people who behave the same way, you feel more attracted to them. And that's not to say that everyone who joins an MLM or follows a person, a yoga teacher that ends up being kind of toxic and manipulative has that same background. I have to just speak to like how I got there. And I have to make that clear when I talk about this, because that's one of the things after I wrote the open letter that a lot of people came like, you sound sick. 
you sound like you need help. I'm glad you're in therapy because you're crazy. You're not well, you know, like you're unstable. And to that, my response always was, I don't know anyone. If you are stable right now, <laughs> there, <laughs> like, you, I don't even want to know your secrets. I'm worried about you. You know, like the world is a wild place and instability is more normal and don't be ableist PS. Um, I am a product of my environment and I am doing my best and we all are. And so that being said, uh, as I got that space and was able to reflect on all the things I've just said, right? Also the, the religious thing, my family structure. Okay, that's why MLM seemed interesting. That's why this teacher seemed interesting. That's why these connections became so close. That's why this desire to be seen and heard and supported and rewarded with love and approval and connection by these communities felt so important. Of course, of course it did. Of course it did. That once I was able to do that, I was then also able to go, okay, what did I do in those communities that was harmful? And that came, that awareness came with the me and white supremacy book. Mm -hmm. Honestly, that was sort of my first step into it. When I, I mean, I, I went, I did missionary work. I went, I white saviored my way through Mexico, you know, regularly. Um, I have caused some serious harm to communities of color. And I was raised to believe that things that are now part of my identity are all things that will send me to a burning hell. Um, and grappling with how I was lied to how I believed that stuff and didn't question it. And then dealing with the fallout of once I did question it, once I did start to step away from the church, because theater kids saved me, they save everyone. You know, the weird theater kids were like, there's, there's other music, you know, like <laughs> it really started with music where they're like, you don't have to listen to hymns and classical music. Let's listen to this pop radio station. Let me tell you why this music is so important to the world, you know? And once I started to pull away, it was watching the community turn its back on me mm. so quickly and not be curious about me and not be like, oh, you found that. Why do you like it? Oh, you think that you, you have gay friends now and you're really curious about why they're going to hell exactly? Where does it say it in the Bible? Or you want to know why you keep telling me to charge $250 for a private session when you live in an area where no one charges that. And then that would mean most of the people who take private classes from you would no longer be able to afford it instead of the answer being, oh, yeah, I can see why you would wouldn't want to charge that much. Maybe you could do sliding scale. Let's talk about what it looks like. The response from the community leader was, so what about them? If you want to level up, then you need to level up the people you're working with. Mm. You know, like, and how all of that happened. And then once I left those communities, either by choice or because I questioned it and I, the door was closed on me, it was that space of 
okay, so that sucks. I'm in pain. And then right after that, the, the swell of shame, because I was like, I did so much bad shit. And I thought it was good. Like, I am so glad I've said this and I said this in one other podcast, but I am so glad that your Facebook memories are private because my like 2011 to like 2014, 15. Oh, it's so gross. It's just a spiritual bypass post after a spiritual bypass. It's just, you know, it's stuff that now when I see even a, a whisper of it on my socials, it's like an immediate block or like I have to put my phone down and walk away and just like shake it off because it's like, oh, that's so unhelpful or that's only helpful for a very small subset of people. That makes so many people feel shame when you do that. Don't say that. Don't tell people. Don't give prescriptive large scale. Oh God, you know, like context is key. (laughs) And I feel like that what you do with that shame, I'm finally getting to my point. I'm sorry. Um, what you do with that shame after you step away and you look and you go, Oh, I did a bunch of stuff too. That wasn't great. Is really important. How you metabolize that guilt, how you metabolize. Cause I feel like so many of us are quick to be like, Oh, I found out that was problematic and then act like they never had anything to do with it and bury it, you know? And I think white cis folks do that a lot. And I can say that cause I am that and have done that, but it wasn't until I started to unpack the things that I did and started to acknowledge that like, okay, you didn't know any better. You thought you were doing well, but impact and intent are different. And it's time to clean up. It's time to, to say sorry. And you can say sorry out loud. Um, you can write letters. You can, and, and that's my approach has been just to be really honest about it. When I post about anything on the internet or I talk about anything in any of my classes that I still offer when I'm interacting with patients and we're talking about the things we're realizing about the harm we caused or when I'm you know in my support groups for, you know, deconstructing faith and reconstructing it in a different way. It's, it's this, I did a lot of bad stuff. I'm sorry. This is how I'm going to not do that anymore. And then when I see it, I'm going to talk about it, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to be really gentle because this, I don't know if it has a name. I feel like I've seen on social media that it does have a name. It's, it's, it was really a really popular thing around uh, when George Floyd was murdered, where white folks who they're kind of like having woke offs and then being really like, I've known this this whole time, this sort of the attitude, which is like, okay, you know, like how are we going to reach critical mass if we are treating this like a, can I swear on your podcast? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, if, well, if we're treating this like a fucking competition, if this is something where we are, you know, and that's, that's a thing that I have to work on a lot because especially after writing that letter and getting very little pushback from folks being like, you're wrong. Um, 
But some of the pushback I did get, I was like, that's okay that you're not where I'm at, but my story is still very true to me. And my experience is still really valid. And I didn't need validation from you or a lack of validation from you because I've spent a lot of time with this. So um, continue to follow that person until it doesn't serve you anymore. And I hope you have the tools to support yourself if that doesn't work out. And if it doesn't, I'll be here. You know, you can always come back, um, but just be a little bit nicer next time and don't call me names. Thanks. <laughs> Does that answer your question? That was a very long answer. It does. And Tristan, I wonder if you're remembering how, like we have a lot of guests, anytime a guest has a marginalized identity, which I think is all of them at this point, there's a lot of like, I'm sorry, I'll get to my point. And like, oh my God, mm. I'm so glad that you took your time. <laughs> so let me just <laughs> Um, yeah. And I'm curious what Tristan is thinking. Um, I'm getting emotional listening to you speak Tatum, um, for many different reasons, uh, because of what it brings up in my memories and also hearing you speak about it validates the way in which I had to close doors so strongly, um, in certain relationships and certain dynamics, um, in order to get that perspective, like you mentioned, um, and how much I've been shamed for closing the door or like shamed for not closing it hard enough, like by other people who were harmed by the same person. Like, why didn't you close it sooner? How come you didn't close it in like a firm way? You know, um, I, I, cause I've, I've done, I've done the exit strategy in a few different in a few different methods, I think. Um, and some of those are, you know, pretty black and white, like the store is closed. Some of them are more like I'm negotiating or bargaining. Like maybe I can see the humanity of this person and stay in contact with them because I'm still getting X, Y, and Z out of this meaningful relationship, but I can hold it with greater awareness now and objectivity and yada, yada. And then finding later, you know, oh no shit, I got to fucking close that door. Um, and I'm, that part about seeing the humanity of people um, is the thing that I, I mean, I struggle with that like all the time. I feel like in the last week I've gotten to a really good place <laughs> in part, I think because I'm immersing myself in, in reading Jacoby Ballard's book, A Queer Dharma and the way that Jacoby, Jacoby as a, as a white trans queer human is talking about compassion and forgiveness um, in the moments that they themselves are experiencing harm. Um, while also holding compassion and forgiveness for themselves as a white person who's going to fumble and make mistakes and didn't know what they didn't know and now know. And, you know, I'm just like immersing myself in that book and really feeling into the degree to which it is available to me to hold people in their humanity. But it's so much easier from the survivor standpoint in my brain to say it's not safe to even consider the humanity of that person. Therefore, in my mind, I cancel them. Um, mm. And I don't even want to bring that phrase into this conversation because I'm like, fuck, fuck the conversation about mm -hmm. cancel culture. Like, no. um, uh, but, but, but that is what's happening. I write them off with a black and white um, approach. Um, and, and I'm also thinking of like, so there's that nuance there. And then there's the nuance that you're talking about of understanding that you yourself caused harm to other people while you were being harmed. Um, 
And I'm reflecting on what that looks like in my own experience and, and body and whether or not I've said I'm sorry, um, either like out loud alone or to the people directly. Um, and I'm just, I've, I'm feeling a lot of things um, listening to you speak. Uh, and I don't think I have like a, a follow-up question. There's a part of me that wants to like go deep into processing, like my mother, my ex, my <laughs> yoga teacher, like let's, let's process everything. I will save that for therapy and, <laughs> and off podcast conversations with Lauren and whoever else are, you know, in my support network. Um, but I, I just also want to normalize that, like, if I'm feeling that, and as we said at the beginning of the episode, I'm sure listeners are thinking about how the, your sharing resonates in their experiences too. Um, and one of the beautiful things I witnessed you doing with that open letter was not leaning into this person is a monster, boycott them, or this person is a monster, um, you know, black and white, end of story. Um, and I wonder, I guess my question is this, if you would speak to... And you kind of did it at the end of what you were sharing, but I wonder if you want to speak to what your what your intention or goal or motivation was in sharing all of that letter so publicly. Yeah. Um, so it took me five years to write that letter um, because it took it took the realization that what was happening was bad. And while it was happening, I had um, gone no contact with two family members. I had also gone no contact with someone who had been a best friend for four years. Um, and it was the first time I'd done that at all. So it was within the landscape of a, of a few months in which I disconnected from very like core relationships, some of the closest and longest lasting relationships I'd had. And there were blips where I just like, didn't even think about it. You know, the, the relationship with that person ended because they told me that if I didn't stop smoking pot, that they were out. That's the last text message I have from them. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was confused in the moment because I was like, why does that matter? Because the text I had sent was simply, can you send me a book recommendation on self-kindness? And then I got told what to do. And then I got an ultimatum, right? And so on the heels of those other relationships ending for very similar reasons, because I was being told by these people like one of the people, one of the, the people that I went in no contact with had said, I mean to you because you make me want to be mean to you. And I think this context is important because none of this shit happens in a vacuum. Like all of these things, all of these really hard things had to be happening to me at the same time in order for me to be like, holy shit. And then, and then close doors really hard. And I did like to that point that you just said about like, Dehumanize. I did. I had to dehumanize those folks for just a little bit to keep myself safe. I had to be like, you're evil. And I was like, I know that's not a permanent view, but holy shit, if I don't just for a second put you in the bad bucket, then I then I can't figure out how to process this. You know, I can't figure out how to. So that's a tool I needed. Um, so 
after that sort of settled and I spent more time talking to my therapist about it and I connected with Matthew Remsky about it and got validation. He's one of the hosts of the Conspirituality podcast that I went on and got validation from him that the way that this person had been interacting with me was indeed harmful. Um, spiritual abuse is what I've called it. Um, emotional abuse is what I've called it. And I would start letters that I wanted to send to this person directly. And then I would stop being like, why, why are you doing this? What do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen? I don't know. I'm just mad and having a bad week. And I'm, <laughs> and I, and I feel like it's kind of partly their fault because I wouldn't be in this position if I hadn't followed them and given them all my money and followed their way of being and it hadn't failed, you know? So I would keep pulling back and pulling back. And then I got to a point where I learned something about something they were allegedly doing. And it made me very, very angry um, because it affected public health. And that's when I was like, this now feels like by not telling my story in some capacity, I am continuing to protect this person. Mm. And this is this is where the you know mean white supremacy uh, you know i did it i did that when it was the instagram challenge before it became the book um and the you know the 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 other work i had been doing in my life where it was like if you're not talking to your family members about how they're you know if you're not talking to your immediate community about how they're causing harm in their day-to-day -day, small little things that they're doing if you're not interrupting those jokes then you're part of the problem because you're enabling that behavior and that was because of being someone who considers themselves a healthcare worker and it involving public health that i went oh no you don't get to do all that to me and i'm sure multiple other people and then also do that and just continue right along your merry way but here's the thing, I am under no false pretenses that this is going to change your behavior. So what do I do? And that was the, cro the crossroads. Because so I was like some girl from Minnesota who doesn't have an Instagram following that's anywhere near what they have, who doesn't want their identity to be the person who was harmed by, who, you know, like, what do I want out of this? And so through talking to a couple of different people about like, what is the end goal of sharing that publicly? It became, this isn't for me. This isn't for her. It is for the other people who have experienced this in any context. I want them to witness my experience, see themselves in it, be validated by the fact that these are forms of harm, they're insidious, they're quiet, there are no bruises. It's not sexual assault, but it affects the way you interact in community and the way you are able to build community and the way you are connecting with other people forever. Because when you realize that you've been being led on or harmed or abused for financial gain, it's really hard to trust anyone. Like when people now ask me to be on their podcast about this, I have to sit back and go, I think they just, 
they probably just want me on their podcast because they saw how many views the article got. And that looks like a way for them to boost their podcast following. They don't actually care about me. Like everything. Like these people want my help or they want my advice because of what I can offer them because of my capitalist value in this broken system rather than, you know, it, it fucks you up. Um, it's had a profound effect on how I build community, how I interacted in grad school, you know, how I made friends and And so I wanted people to read it and go, something similar happened to me. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. It is. It's a big deal. I was hurt. And then also see, because at the end of the letter, I make sure that I'm like, I'm aware that I caused harm. That was a very important part to call out at the end of the letter. Was that I am open and available for conversations if I have harmed you. I am trying to do better. If you have any, if you want to do the emotional labor of telling me how I've harmed you, I think I probably know. I've spent a lot of time thinking about it, but if you need to say something or you need some form of reparations, come at me. I'm out here standing here, waving my arm in the air being like, hi, you know, like I'm not afraid to apologize for it and do what needs to happen to make amends um, and be accountable. And once I landed on the, that, on the like, I want other people to feel seen. I want people to know that this is harm. People shouldn't treat you this way. And that just because I harmed doesn't mean that I haven't, or that I was harmed doesn't mean that I haven't been harmful. And that healing from this in, involves acknowledging all the whole thing. And once I got to that point, the letter just fell out of me in a couple of days. Mm. and I went through a lot of edits, but, um, cause there was a lot of stuff that I wrote just to be a big jerk. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, that feels better. And then I deleted it, <laughs> but, um, and there's a lot I left out because of the wellness community and how incestuous it is. There are brands and there's a very large yoga festival that I work for that I left out of that letter that if I were to have included that part of the letter in the letter, it would have been three times as long and I probably would have gotten sued. Mm -hmm. But um, there's always more to the story. I hope, I'm, I'm, I'm sure most of the people who listen to this know that, but um, yeah, once I arrived on that, it was like, okay, here we go. And I had the support, I had Matthew's support and once I press publish, we talked about the podcast and I was like, this is the only time I'll talk specifically about it and name it and talk about the hereafter. It'll be more a discussion if anyone wants to talk about it. I had very clear boundaries around mm -hmm. like how, the, how I would go forward. I visualized what things would look like afterwards. And none of it had anything to do with how this person in question would respond because I, I, I know them well enough to know that they would, they aren't capable of the accountability that I, that would have created beautiful and remarkable change because it would have required them to literally quit like doing the things that make them money. And I also, I'll just say like, 
I don't want to talk about cancel culture either because it's very annoying, but I, they like, the goal was never to cancel or to ruin anything for her. But I was like, whatever comes after this letter with this intention, with the intentions that I have is a natural consequence of your behavior. Yeah. That's all. I'm not stoking the fires past that because this isn't about what happens to her. It's about what happens to the rest of us and how we move forward. I, I feel compelled to ask, and this is a selfish question. Um, I'm, I'm very selfish in all of these podcast conversations. Let's be real. I'm always like, this applies to me in this way. And let me ask you this question. Um, but I think also that it will resonate maybe for others. Um, if you would be willing to share Tatum advice, perspective, wisdom that you might offer to someone who's reflecting on their own experiences and is maybe thinking, shit, I feel like maybe I need to say something. I feel like I need to speak up publicly about this experience I had or this teacher and what happened. And I feel like I owe it to the larger community or to myself or to the people I was in relationship with. And that process, I mean, we hear you share that it took you five years essentially mm-hmm. to write and publicly um, publish this letter. Like, and we're also acknowledging that like, we acknowledged before recording that urgency is also a tool of white supremacy. And so how do we like engage in this work and not be urgent about it while we know that that harm is likely continuing in those spaces? Um, And I'm also aware that like, hey, if I decide to write an open letter about an experience I had, it's not like the harm is going to stop, as you're saying. So like what, what kind of advice, wisdom, perspective might you offer to someone who's who's sitting in my shoes and thinking I owe it to x to to something to share my experience and to speak out about my experience and that by staying silent I'm fill in the blank you know whatever I might fill in that that fill that in with yeah uh get yourself an accountability pod because um there's you know, people who support, you know, your story, love you, want to see you succeed, but also will tell you the truth. Right. Cause I had some, I put those folks together as I was writing the letter and some of them were people I actually didn't know, but just thought they were really cool on the internet and was like, hi, I really like the things you write and what you talk about. I've seen you call out people. Um, tell me everything. And, you know, this one person in particular was like, it's going to ruin your life for a little while and then it's going to go away and people are going to forget about it. And the person's going to continue doing it. Just, I want you to just know that. And maybe that won't happen, but like, let's just be honest, you know, and that person saying that to me, was like, okay, okay. Wow. That's bleak. Okay. (laughs) I want to be a superhero, but like, I'm not, you know, like, because my story isn't remarkable. It's commonplace. Yeah. And so Building that pod of people who are going to be honest with you, people who have experience saying the things out loud and will tell you how it felt. Um, the, The important work of spending as much time as you can with what what your intention is. Not as like an intention setting practice, but like (laughs) what, like what do what why do I think I need to do this? What, what do I want the outcome to look like? If it doesn't look like that, what happens? If it does, what next? What next? 
that was the most valuable piece of advice I got was like, what's next? And that's why very quickly after I published it, there was a post on my Instagram. That was me standing in front of a beautiful, <laughs> like I was hiking and I was like, asked my boyfriend to take a funny qu- picture of me. And then I was like, I just want to be really clear with you. These are, these are, this is how this moves forward. This is not my identity. I am not interested in talking about this. I'm not trying to get this person canceled. I wanted people to feel seen. I said to myself, if 10 people feel seen, I did it. The end. Moving on. Um, Because I'm not living the rest of my life under the thumb of that person and what they did to me. I can't, my God. Ugh. Um, And, but I want that experience to inform the way I move through the world and how I lead. Should I be a leader? How I support as I support people. Um, and ask yourself why, why it has to be public. Um, I think one of the criticisms I got the most when I was starting to write it, they're like, have you tried to say any of this stuff to this person in person yet? Or privately one-on-one privately. Yes. And my response was, yes, I tried, I tried twice for really what felt like small things. Mm-hmm. And the response was so volatile and explosive that I never wanted to do that again because it felt so scary. Yeah. So why would I put myself in harm's way in that way again, privately? Um, and when I did it publicly, um, she then just said the quiet part out loud to all of her followers and, you know, called me unstable and unwell and a sad, sad girl that she tried to help that she just couldn't, you know, she since deleted all of it. So for folks that are going to go look for that, uh, I have the recording, but it's not public because I'm not playing that game right now, but I, and it hurt all of that response hurt that, um, I almost threw up after I watched it because of how, how deeply it hurt to listen to someone with so many followers talk to talk about me like that after like two days after offering me money, Mm. which was also weird. So the response was completely in line with what I expected in that it was completely dysregulated and, and, you know, like all about protecting image and not about accountability anyway. I think a lot of times we think if we write a really well-crafted letter, if we think really hard about what we want to say, if we use the right words, if we use perfect language, if we, you know, get our, that, that, that will have an outcome that will look like blank, but you do need to release your expectations. You do need to accept that like shit might hit the fan and it might feel really awful for a while. And you're going to have to relive a lot of the harm again um and that you better have your if you get massages you get two that month you know if you go on walks make them double limit your screen time make your profile private like get all that stuff set up ahead of time it should be very calculated because this is about protecting yourself it's about telling your story and protecting yourself and once your story is out there people are going to do with it what they want to do with it and it might go really well and people might show up in droves. And for the most part, I think because of where we are as a culture with the naming harm, that a lot of people show up for you. But I would also encourage folks to not get 
caught up in the dopamine hit of getting those validating DMs and those comments because they go away and people forget about you because it's Instagram, because it's the internet. Like somebody else is going to fuck up tomorrow and they're all going to talk about that next. You know, like there's going to be a new meme. We're all going to be posting Muppets, sun, moon, and rising. (laughs) You know, like, and you're going to be sitting there crying because all of this stuff is really live for you all of a sudden. And everyone's like, change my mind. That was weird. I don't want to think about it anymore. You know, like that's, that's the thing about making it public. So it's, it's, you, you have to really mindfully create a container and be prepared to lose friends. Um, people that even support you doing it will be like, yeah, totally. You should send that. And like, I hope it works out for you. There's people like that, that I haven't heard from since then. Or people who Um, are like, I've got your back. I'm going to take some steps too. And then never zero. Yeah. Um, I'm sensitive to the time in part because I have yes. a hard stop at three and I wish I didn't because I, this is such a big conversation. And if you're open to it, I would love to come back to this sometime. Sure. Um, and, and, but, and there's also some nuance in what you both have shared that I want to make sure we underscore highlight bold, all the things for people first is what you just said, Tatum, you know, if, if there's someone listening who is feeling that pull to name harm publicly especially if you're going to name names to be prepared to relive the harm. Um, I will say for me, unfortunately, slash, I don't know, sort of fortunately, because now I led me to the work I'm doing, but I had several public situations where I was calling out harm. One was by someone who works for a U.S. Senator in a very senior position. One is a mayor of a town (laughs) that has a big population uh, and his former chief of staff, who's now a partner at a very fancy law firm and people who have, as a result of my call, it's not faced any consequences. And at the time I did not have the discernment and the tools you are talking about to, first of all, tamper down my expectations of what the outcome might be. Um, and I think most of the harm just in my case, and I think in some others that I see from clients, it comes from like the reliving it later. And then from the lack of any, further accountability or results for that person. So I appreciate what you're saying about the natural consequences of their behavior. Um, And also in those call outs, like I I also appreciate what you're both talking about with like holding someone accountable without dehumanizing them. And, you know, I, I actually haven't gotten to that section of Jacoby's book. So I don't know what he speaks to when it comes to forgiveness. If there's anyone out there telling themselves that I need to get to a place of forgiving an abuser or anything like that in order to heal, that's not a prerequisite for healing. It's a beautiful thing if that happens and it doesn't have to happen. Um, and also forgiving isn't the same thing as reconciling, letting them back into your life. So just because our culture thinks of forgiveness is like, open arms to anybody who might set you on fire. That's not what we're talking about. Um, so I just want to make sure we we clarify that um, if it wasn't clear already. Um, and also that, you know, if, if the goal of speaking out or telling your story in any way, whether or not it's a public call out or just a public sharing, um, for me, what I've come back to over and over is what's going to liberate myself and serve my healing. Cause at this point, I feel like I've had enough pain from those situations. What's going to support my healing is talking about it, supporting my healing. And also is it empowering other people in their healing? 
Is it mm. preventing maybe some harm that's happening? Um, part of why I had to call out certain things and speak publicly about it in different capacities was because I couldn't live with myself knowing somebody else might be being hurt. Yes. Um, I heard some of that and what you were sharing too. Um, and if anybody ever wants to talk offline about this, I'm very available for that because I know this is such a messy um, thing to navigate. Um, so I'm going to stop there. I just felt like I was like kind of taking yeah. notes. good. Thank you. So important to say. Um, I think I want to, the last thing I want to say is thank you um, because uh, your bravery is inspiring and I'm not like, I, I feel like if I were in your position, I'd be like, wow, bravery. Yeah. I don't want to um, be brave. I didn't want to have to deal with this. No, like, but you're the way you were like, have to have boundaries. This is what it's going to look like. This is what is okay from here on out. This is what are my expectations? Like you were getting so clear um, and, and taking care of yourself in this really hard thing. Um, and this really public thing, you know, um, and that's really inspiring for me personally. And I also just want to say, um, that I'm not going to fucking forget that you did it Tatum. Like, honestly, like I know in my body that if I don't have contact with you in 20 years, I'm still going to remember the moment that I saw your open letter because it shifted so much in my brain and in my being, um, and continues to, which is why I'm like tearing up in this moment. Like whether or not I ever write my own open letter, you blew something open for me. Um, so I know you did that for other people and I know you were doing it for yourself and you were doing it on behalf of others, but I just like hearing you say like, and then people move on and they start sharing the cat memes again. Like there are people who aren't moving on, you know, um, that we're still fighting through it. We're still reconciling it. We're still figuring it out. And people are, are going to keep remembering the people who modeled this thing that you just did, you know? Um, so I just, I really want to like celebrate and commend you for doing it. Um, and doing the hard fucking work behind the scenes that you did to be able to do what you did publicly, um, because that's the part that we also need to be talking about, too. Right. So I just appreciate you coming on and giving so much context to so many different facets of this experience and this choice that you made. Um, and now I am satiated. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for saying that. I think yeah. I, as it's a form of self-protection to be like, no one's thinking about it anymore because it's <laughs> terrifying to think that there are people that are like, I'm still thinking about that letter I read back in October where I'm over here navigating all sorts of other things in my life. And, right. you know, until we got on this call today, I was like, okay, what happened to me? Where was I? What was going on? How are we going to talk about this? And so my assumption is like, you know, I am, um, and that's also like a personal pattern is just that I, I become forgotten, you know? So, um, I appreciate you saying that because that reminds me that that is not always the case. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. And you never know when you do something like that, especially something that is so scary and uncomfortable, like what ripple effects that's going to have for the longest time. I mean, I, I share what Tristan just said, like you unlocked something big for me. I remember texting Tristan when I was listening to the podcast that you were on and being like, Holy, but like I, I, it was just putting into words things that I knew didn't feel right, but I finally had language for it. And I've been told that in the past, like my sharing of past situations has done that for others. And like, you just never know what like spark you're creating for somebody else. So I'm also just so grateful to you. And 
and it doesn't define you to me. Yeah. <laughs> it has to define you to me if that makes you feel better. Um, but uh, yeah, just Mission accomplished. <laughs> um, just know that it, it, it means something. And I know that it's absolutely helping so many other people, even if not right now, maybe they come back to it in a few years when they're ready. Yeah. Um, and, and thank you for being willing to, and trusting us with this conversation. And it, it just means so much to me personally, I know to Tristan too. And yeah, this was exactly what I was hoping this would be, which was this, um, thoughtful and messy and, um, caring way that we can navigate through this together. So just thank you for, for doing that with us. Yeah. Yes. Thanks for having me. Um, Tatum, before we wrap up, is there anything, is there anything you want to share about your work that you haven't already mentioned? Now is the time for you to plug yourself. <laughs> and we'll link all of yeah. that. Okay. I know. I just, my, you can pop up my Instagram at Tatum Marie and just, you know, I got kittens. So it's mostly cat content and okay. a few vague posts about <laughs> what I'm navigating in my personal life. And, you know, I, I'm not doing, I decided to take, um, the first month of this year to do some listening to how I want to provide or share my work in the future. So that's a good place to find updates. Um, yeah. Great. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you, Tatum. Thanks for listening to this episode of All the Fuck In. If you like what we're doing, we'd love if you'd subscribe to us on Apple or Spotify and leave us a five-star rating and review. This helps other folks find us. You can learn more at alltfinpodcast.com. That's A-L-L-T-F-I-N podcast.com. And on Instagram at all tfin podcast or at tristan katz creative or and at lauren k roberts